Well, this morning, it's welcome home. Thank you for being here again. God bless you for getting out in the cold. God bless you for setting your clocks up some at 2 a.m. this morning because that's what you did right. You wait, you know, Sarah and I, we use our, uh, our, our phones or our, we don't, I don't know that we have, do we have any clocks in our house? Just on the stove, right. And, uh, so we just depended on, uh, you know, the iPhones to reset themselves and wake us up, you know, when the time changes. And it's worked out pretty good thus far. But spring is in the air. Now you would not know it outside with that zero wind chill and ice. And we went, hey, it's, it's springtime in the Appalachian Mountains. We went from 64 degrees and sunshine on Friday. Uh, I was out, I was out at my dad's house on Friday. I was on the tractor in shirt sleeves doing some work around the place. And then lo and behold, by Saturday morning, it was snowing. And then yesterday, I was, uh, I had uh, been out and about, and I guess yesterday evening around four o'clock, uh, I got in a brief blizzard. You couldn't see anything in front of you for just a few minutes. And, uh, and then down to zero. My goodness, the joys of living in the Appalachian Mountains. I love it though. But you know what? Spring is in the air. Seven days from today is the first day of spring. Since so somebody say amen. Amen. Get those onion sets while they last. Get that lettuce in the ground. Make sure you bring me some of it when it pops up about that tall because there's nothing much better than scalded lettuce and some people call it wilted lettuce, scalded lettuce and cornbread and a bowl of beans. So share with your pastor. I admonish you. Share with your pastor. You know, spring is in the air. Uh, those of you that maybe watched our drive time this morning, uh, you listened to Sarah and I talk about our grandkids are getting ready to, they're engaging in softball, and one in softball and the other in baseball. But spring is finally upon us, and that means we're going to have a little bit more daylight to work in. It means we are going to be getting that garden ready. It means the grass is going to start growing, and, and uh, you're going to have, you and I are going to have to start mowing before long. Uh, it means shorts and flip-flops. I'm not a flip-flop guy. My wife is. She's already had hers out. And uh, But uh, I just got a thing about uh, going around with my toes showing. You know, I just said, uh, you know, it's just a little thing I got, especially something with a cord in between the toes. You know, I can't handle that. So I'm not a flip-flop guy. Shorts and flip-flops, uh, outdoor activities, and again, that baseball. You know, uh uh, last night, last night was a, was a, uh, stellar night for all us Hokie fans. How many Hokie fans is in the house? Virginia Tech won their first, uh, ACC championship in men's basketball. Uh, and I asked the question this morning on our drive time, does West Virginia even have a basketball team? I don't know. I haven't heard about them having one. Uh, you know, that, that's a jab if you didn't catch on to that, you know. Uh, Virginia Tech are the ACC champions. But man, it's baseball season. Doesn't seem like it's been any time since the Atlanta Braves won the World Series. Just a few weeks ago, Sarah, Sarah, that night, that last World Series game at our house, Sarah was standing up in the middle of the living room and she was, she was hollering, strike him out, strike him out. I said, would you calm down? I said, Atlanta is batting. She was cheering for the wrong team. 
She said, well, I got excited. She said, I got excited. So base, baseball's in the air. And most of us in this room's probably watched baseball or played baseball or softball at one time or another. I've heard stories about a baseball league that this church had years ago. They were well known for their cheating. <laughs> so I've heard. Just by, in particular by the pastor of that time, which we, we won't, you know, we won't name him, even though he's the conference superintendent now. But, uh, but anyway, uh, we've, uh, you know, we all know a little bit about baseball probably. And we know that, that, that a batter stands over a home plate with a bat and a pitcher, a pitcher pitches the ball towards that batter. And if that batter swings and misses, it's a strike. Or if that pitcher can, that pitcher can throw the ball through what is a, uh, invisible, uh, yet perceived strike zone and that batter fails to swing, it's also called a strike. But whichever way it occurs, by a missed swing or just standing there watching the ball, if you have three strikes, you're out. So, now, most of us understand the basics of the game. And we understand that strike zone. We understand the swing and misses. Uh, in my mind right now, I can, I can imagine a struggling batter. I never, I never was much of a baseball player. Never could hit all that well and I never had a good throwing arm at all. But I can imagine a struggling batter trying to defend the plate as we call it. I can hear that growling voice of the umpire as he says, that third pitch smacks the glove of that hind catcher. And he not only says strike, but he says, you're out! And a dejected batter turns around and walks away from the plate and walks back to the dugout. There has to be a certain amount of failure that is felt in that event. But yet that batter keeps coming back because he's in the lineup. He keeps coming back time and time again, standing at the plate, continuing to swing that bat. There's a stark comparison to the to the guy like a, a Babe Ruth or a Hank Aaron that's that are considered home run kings uh because they're known as home run kings, there's a there's a stark comparison. Because even though they're home run kings, do you know they strike out every once in a while? In fact, did you know this? Did you know that Babe Ruth and most most of you? No, I'm not talking about Baby Ruth the candy bar. Some of y'all got candy on your mind right now, just because I said that. But did you know that Babe Ruth struck out more than he ever hit home runs? It's a known fact. He struck out more than he ever hit a home run. So, so, do, do you know though that, 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 but the fellow, they're remembered for their out of the park home runs. They're remembered for the RBIs. They're remembered for those grand slams when the bases are loaded. What one fella is esteemed as a hero, there's another one that's going to be looked at as a zero because he struck out. The good news is that God doesn't measure our worthiness as the world does. Because, you see, I, I was that kid in school when it come down to playing softball in school. I was always the last one to get picked or close to it. 
And it wasn't because my name last name started with a T. You know, a lot of things I could blame on the fact that my name started with a T. So I was very low in the alphabet. And that's why I was late getting picked last. The reason I got picked last playing softball is because I wasn't very good at it. I struggled. I wasn't good at it. So therefore, I was always the last one. And a lot of times, I didn't even get picked. It was just a matter of default. Whichever team had the last choice, that's the team I ended up playing on. So if we ever have a church league team in the future, guess who you don't want to play? You want to give me to the other church. Sow me into their ministry. But the Lord, when He looks on us and He begins to measure our worthiness, His the worthiness that He measures in us is not in our ability or our accomplishments themselves. God doesn't look at us and say, well, you know what, I look at old so-and-so and and -and so-and-so's done this, this, and this, and this, so I can use them for uh, in the future. Now, but what the Lord does call us to is He does call us to faithfulness. He re- Faithfulness, which is our submissiveness to Him. That's what God is looking for in us. He's looking for us to be submissive. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them to Joshua chapter 2. And those of you that were in the adult life group, uh, I was picking at Alicia. And Alicia, it, it, is, it is just in, in, in fun. I am just picking at you. She, she completely killed my message in life group this morning again. She does, she has a habit of doing that about two weeks a, m- a month. But as you turn to Joshua chapter two, we're going to read uh, about, yes, about Joshua and some spies. And if you remember two weeks ago, I preached about Joshua going into the promised land. And as he goes into the promised land, there he incurs, uh, he incurs some problems, some difficulties. So Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim to go over to the land. And he said, especially Jericho, So they went and they entered into the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Man, that is really where you want to send the men of God. That You want to send them over to spy out a land where they really are not welcome at. And when they get there, you tell them to stay in the house of a prostitute. Woo! Because guess what some of the church folks are going to think? Yeah, boy. Before the spies, verse 8, skip down to verse 8. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab, which is the prostitute, by the way, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We were all afraid of you. and We, she is talking about the Canaanite people. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Shion and to Og and the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. So when we begin to think about the situation that is at hand, I want to preach to you a message that I just titled, Three Strikes and Your... And 
our instincts, because we know the game of baseball, is to say, and you're out. I think there's much to be learned from this encounter this morning with three spies and a prostitute. As we begin to look at Rahab and consider Rahab's strikes, there are three particular strikes that Rahab has against her. Number one, Rahab is a Canaanite. Being a Canaanite means that she belongs to a people group that is despised by practically everybody else in the world. Canaanites are uh, not considered uh, people that you want to socialize with. Canaanites are not people that you want to, you don't want to marry into the Canaanite family. Uh, Canaanites are people that are looked down upon and they're considered inferior. So she has uh, that strike against her. The Canaanites lack moral ethics. Uh, the Canaanites were known <coughs> to be people that had no moral restraint. The Canaanites were people that lacked um, that lacked uh, moral convictions, if you would, and and uh, they lived very crude, very rude, and very immoral lives. The Canaanites were people that were really given over to pagan worship. It was just not a couple of gods, but it was many, many dozens and dozens, perhaps hundreds of gods, idol gods that the Canaanites worshipped. And very few, if any at all, worship Jehovah God, the God of heaven. You see, the Canaanites to the rest of the world were public enemy number one, especially to the Israelites, because the Israelites were about to invade Canaan. In fact, that's where uh, Rahab lived. So the spies were sent there to spy out the land. Rahab, three strikes against her. Strike one, she's a Canaanite. Strike two, Rahab is a female. Now, ladies, no offense to you. But you understand, in the Canaanite social culture, women were considered merchandise. Women were sold. Most of you in here, your husbands, those of you ladies that are in this room that are married, most of you, your husbands did not trade two mules and three chickens and a good goat for you. Okay? We one of my one of the missions trips I've been on. We had a a flume day, which is what uh, which is a word for an expert carpenter. And and that flume day that we had working for him, his name was his last name was Terry. And somebody asked Brother Terry. They said, and, and he was forty some years old, and he was an expert carpenter. And so even in in his culture, he had a good job and he was making a good living. He and, and somebody said, uh, Walter, Walter Terry. They said, Why are you not married? He says, I tell you. He said, It's because a good woman will cost you at least three goats and some chickens, and I can't afford it. You see, in this culture of the Canaanites, she's a female. She was considered a piece of merchandise, as were all women. And she was a prostitute. She probably was the the madam of the house, we believe. That's very much possible. But she was a prostitute nonetheless. Or women were, if they weren't given over to prostitution, they were used commercially for childbearing. That was their job, to have kids, to increase the land, and to to uh, 
give boys to work the farm, so to speak. Women were slaves. They were bought and sold. A lot of times, females were actually killed at birth because females were not considered to bring a whole lot to society other than childbearing in the Canaanite culture. And I'm not for... I'm not for anyone being mistreated, but when I hear people talking about women's rights, and, and I, I don't think women should be prejudiced, uh, there should be prejudice against women, don't misunderstand me. But let me tell you something, the world has come a long ways, ladies. It really has. Strike three. Rahab is a poverty-stricken prostitute. Perhaps she was sold or marketed into prostitution in an early life. Most likely that she was sold into prostitution by her dad. She couldn't work the farm, so to speak. She couldn't run the mill or whatever her dad may have done for a living. So her dad probably just sold her into prostitution. So he got him a little money out of the the girl. In spite of the antiquated existence of prostitution, it always has existed, by the way. Seemingly, always. It's been looked down upon by society. Prostitution is something that we consider immoral. Prostitution is something that we, we, we consider that is, is the, the, the dregs of society, if you would. The that her home was built in the city wall when you study out these scriptures indicate that she was very, very poor. The fact that she's drying flax, which is what she used to the the flax, like uh, wheat, if you would, and that's what she used to cover the spies over and to hide them with, that also indicates that not only was she a prostitute, but she was probably an unsuccessful prostitute. She was very, very poor. So three strikes against Rahab. She's a Canaanite. She's a female. And thirdly, she's very a very poor prostitute. She don't have a whole lot going in her favor. See, there's, there's seemingly nothing that's really, really significant about her existence at all. And the way to phrase that would be, she's basically insignificant to society. If Rahab had died and nobody would have missed her, maybe then other than some of her male customers, which would just move along to some other prostitute. She had no value to her society. She added nothing to her community. Uh, there was not much hope. There was very little future uh, for Rahab. And to be honest, if we think about it, I just have to wonder if there was not a lot of days that Rahab just really wondered what it would be like if she had never been born. Just wish she had never been born. I'd say that's quite possible, although that's speculation. But then there's God. Then there's there's God. There's there's Jesus. You know what God loves to do? God loves to upset the apple cart of our lives. He likes to turn some things over, if you would. He likes to do stuff that, listen, I, I love to pick my, my wife. She, she, she tells me all the time. She said, you, she said, would you just stop picking? Cause I love to pick. 
I love to pick. In a sanctified way, I like agitating a little bit, just for the fun of it. Instigating, just a little bit, just for the fun of it. I love picking. I think sometimes God loves picking just a little bit. I think He loves just messing with us just a little bit. And, and we, what we find is that God upset the apple cart because out of all the people in Canaan that God could have said, Joshua, here's where I want you to send your spies to, and here's where I want you to, how I want you to handle this. Joshua, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sends his men into Canaan and sends them to a house of prostitution. Wow. Don't that upset your apple cart? Don't that mess with your mind? We have, Sarah and I, it's been several years ago now, we sat in a, we sat in a, uh, church growth seminar, uh, meeting and, and, uh, and it told about how that, that, uh, there was different churches doing different things. One church, they give a guy, they gave him a, bought him a handful of tokens and, and he just rode in the area that they live. They had the metro buses running and, and he just got on the metro buses and rode around just to witness to people while he was riding the bus. That was his ministry. But we read about another guy that his ministry is, uh, you know, it, it is, it is, it is different. I have to admit that. And I can't say that I would do it, but another guy that would go into the, to the local beer joint and he'd go all the way to the end of the bar <coughs> and order him a glass of milk and sit in the beer joint and drink him a glass of milk and share Jesus with the people that had come in to drink. You see, sometimes God upsets the apple cart. Sometimes He messes with us. He here He messed with He me, He was messing with a lot of people. He miss, He's messing with my mind today. Why would you send these guys to a prostitute? Well, when you study Jeremiah chapter twenty-seven, verse six, you'll read there that God speaks about a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked king. He was a mean king. He was one of the meanest, if perhaps not the meanest king <coughs> that, that is recorded. And we see there that in Joshua, excuse me, Jeremiah twenty-seven and six, that God refers to Jeremiah as my servant. A wicked king as his servant. Now, why would God say that? Because Nebuchadnezzar carried out the plan of God. Nebuchadnezzar was a big part of of bringing the plan of God into existence. When you go to the New Testament and you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, we see that Paul said, instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose, and he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God messes with us. He messes with our mind. And I'll share, and I'll try, hopefully explain to, why to you before we leave this message today. In Acts chapter 10, we find the story of Peter 
And Peter's on the rooftop praying in the middle of the day, but he falls into a trance and he sees a sheet that's lowered down from heaven. And and, and Peter, understanding the Jewish law, understanding the, the laws of what is clean and unclean, he sees the sheet coming down and there's all kinds of unclean animals according to the law. And, and the Lord tells him to take, to kill and to eat. And Peter says, no, 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 Lord, I can't do that because I have never eaten anything that is unclean. Peter was saying, I've never broken the law. I've never sinned in this way. No, 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 I'm not doing that. And the Lord brings rebuke to Peter. He said, don't call what I have clean, unclean. See, this messes with our mind, don't it? It messes with our Christianese. You see, sometimes we find that it takes something of uh, little, at least little perceived value. God will take it to create a treasure out of it. See, God will take God will take what messes with our mind because we don't think that we don't think it qualifies to be used by God. We don't think this person qualifies to be used by God. We don't think this situation qualifies to be used by God. But God will come in and He will use a situation or He will use a person. And in all of that, we identify that it's not about the person. But it's about God. You see, sometimes we, sometimes we get caught up in the person. Did you know that? Not that I'm against TV preaching and faith healing. But there's people that, that people that we have not, we know have exhausted, that have exhausted their money just to get to where Benny Hinn's at. When all the time the same God, the same God that heals in Benny Hinn's services, heals in voices of praises and, and, uh, church of gods and, uh, wherever else you may want to go. You see, you see, sometimes we get caught up in the, uh, in the, in the, uh, representation of the person. Now certainly, it's good to have a tremendous witness. I'm not saying that. Certainly it's good to have confidence in somebody, but yet we can see that sometimes God works in obscure ways in order that His glory may be shined forth. There was a well-known evangelist that, that failed Many years ago, and I'm not going to name the name, but many of you know who I'm referring to. And that, that well-known Pentecostal evangelist, he failed. And there was people that, that I know, some of my, some of my friends, that still, they, they, they are not serving God today because of that failure. They said, if that could happen, if God would allow that to happen, then there's no way I don't have a chance in making it. But listen, they had their confidence in a person rather than their confidence in God. But but here's the thing about it. Somebody said, do you really think all those people got saved under that ministry when that man was doing the things he was doing? Absolutely. Because God says, my word will not return into me void. And even though that, 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 that vessel, as we look at it, was unfit to be used, it was, there was three strikes against it. They were called out. But God's word honored his word. So we see in this story of Rahab, we see a great example of hope. God uses the dredges of society oftentimes to accomplish His perfect will. We stand here today as Pentecostals. 
We're in this room gathered as a group of Pentecostal believers. We're a Pentecostal church. It's part of our name. It's part of our heritage. It's part of our doctrine. But do you realize that 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 when you study the the history of Pentecostalism as we know it, do you know that you know that Pentecostalism came out of the dredges, so to speak? It came out of the people on the other side of the tracks. It came out of the people that 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 out, out on Azusa Street in California. It came out. It came out of the places that nobody else wanted anything to do with. And the outpouring of the Holy Spirit became very prominent and very relevant in the age that we live. You see, there's a difference maker in all of this. What was the difference maker in Rahab's life? What is the difference maker in your life and my life? What is the difference maker? Well, here's the difference maker. Rahab chose to believe in God of the Israelites rather than the circumstances that she found herself living in. You know, you and I, you and I have failed many times. You and I will fail in the future. You and I, I you know, when I consider myself, I know me better than anybody. And, and I, I met up with somebody not long ago that I went to went to high school with, and that person said, "What are you doing?" And I said, "Well, I pastor." And I said, "You, you." It's it's like I thought there was a woman in cardiac arrest. You know, you. But you know, God, God, God will, He takes us in our third strikeout. He takes us when we've been called out and He will uses us. And you see, Rahab chose to believe in God, in the, in the, uh, in the God of the Israelites rather than in the circumstance that she was living in. You see, she identified in verse 9 that the Canaanites were fearfully afraid of the Jews because of the stories they had heard. She believed those stories in verses 9 and 10 and she took them to heart. And she recognizes in verse 11 of Joshua chapter 2, she takes the time or the opportunity to recognize and acknowledge the supreme God, Jehovah, if you would, is God. Not only did she believe, but we find that Rahab trusted. Rahab trusted. Now, she sheltered these strangers. And what Rahab did, Rahab put her own life at risk. Not just her well-being, but her own life. She had no reputation because she was a prostitute. But she put her own life and she put her own well-being at risk by, by housing these strangers that were known to be spies. And when she did that, she did that in faith. She did that because she realized the difference in the God of Israel and now she's doing this in faith, not in what she had necessarily saw because she had not witnessed them crossing the Red Sea. She had not witnessed them in any of the battles or any of the encounters that Israel had incurred, but she had heard the story and she believed. And you know what? That is a perfect illustration of faith and what it is to believe in a God that can save my soul and wash away my sins and nothing but the blood of Jesus. That way, you know, I haven't seen God. I have to admit, I'm not one of those people that have seen Him. I haven't been, went into some trance. I haven't had a near-death experience. 
I have not seen God. But I want to tell you what. I believe in Him because I have heard His story. There's a song that we used to sing. We used, I used to have an old boy in, in one of my congregations and he sat right up on front over on the left hand side of the church and every service we'd get up to sing and we had a little choir in that church and we'd get up to sing and he would say, Hey brother NR, let's sing 120. 120. I heard an old, old story about a savior from glory. Mm-hmm. Victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. And, but you know what? I've heard and I, I've read this old, old story. I haven't seen one thing. I haven't seen any of it. I've seen the results of it, but I haven't seen any of it. But because I have heard, I choose to believe. And because I believe, faith has led me to where I'm at now. And you, if you'll sit down and examine your life, you're the same way. If you're listening to this, and you are not saved, listen, don't wait until you see it. Just believe what you read. Believe what you can hear. And accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I realize that the God of Israel is bigger than the circumstances that you are living in. So she not only believed, but she trusted. She sheltered those strangers. She did so by faith. It was an extraordinary faith that she used. Thirdly, faith, her faith led her to react in obedience. You see, there's a lot of people say, well, I believe in God. Oh, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in the things of God. But they have never let their faith lead them to obedience. And there's a big difference there. Because when faith leads us to obedience, that's what happened with, with Rahab. When you read there, she said, she may, I'll paraphrase this real simply. What Rahab says is, listen guys, uh, you know, I believe in the God of Israel. I have faith in the God of Israel. Therefore, I'm going to hide you. And after she hid them, she knows what's coming. She knows that the judgment of God is coming on Canaan and it's coming through the nation of Israel. She said, I want you to spare me when that judgment comes. And Rahab is instructed to hang a scarlet thread in her window. The window of her house of poverty that's hanging off the wall. You see, the act, the act of hanging that scarlet thread is reminiscent of the Passover blood on the doorpost. It's reminiscent of that. And that, that, that scarlet thread protected her from the judgment that was forthcoming. Now, the world would have called Rahab out. The world, the world would have, the world would have put, put Rahab on the, uh, you know, on, in the scalding pot, if you would. The world would have, the world would have looked down their nose at Rahab. In fact, they probably did. The, the, the world and even, let me say this, even the church would have been so, so critical of Rahab. And in some ways, maybe rightfully so in our, in our self-righteousness. But God chose to use her. God chose to call her out. 
In fact, you could say this. When the world looked at Rahab and they said, she's a strikeout. Man, she's a strikeout. She's never going to get picked when we choose baseball teams. She's never going to get picked because she's nothing but a strikeout. But God chose her to hit a home run. God chose her to hit a home run. In fact, if her name is found among the great heroes of faith in the Hebrew writing, in the book of Hebrews, and in the epistle of James, you will find Rahab. In Matthew chapter 1, you'll find that Rahab is the wife of Salmon. No, he didn't. They're not the ones that invented Salmon cakes. A little turn of words there. Rahab married Salmon. And then if you go with me to Matthew chapter 15, I want you to, or chapter 1, excuse me. Matthew chapter 1, I want to read this. Play real quiet for me if you would. Because this is very important. Alicia, I'm glad you stopped without doing all this this morning. But you were close. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam was the father of Abijah, and Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh was the father of Ammon. Ammon was the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim and his brothers, born at the time of the exile into Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Sheatal. Sheatal was the father of Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel was the father of Abud. And Abud was the father of Elakim. And Elakim was the father of Azor. Azor was the father of Zadok. Zadok was the father of Akim. Akim was the father of Elud. Elud was the father of Eleazar. Eleazar was the father of Matham. Matham was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 from David to Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. You see, what all that means to us is when you study out Scripture, you find that this story of Rahab was more more than just a remarkable story. Because this story of Rahab is the beginning of the grafting in of the wild root, if you would. It was the grafting in of a non-Jew into the church. It's the, it's the, it's the grafting in of when you study that lineage and all that I just read to you from Matthew chapter one is, is, is the, the generations of lineage that leads up 
to the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you realize it or not, if you didn't catch it all, it all began with Rahab, a harlot that lived in poverty on a wall outside her city that was dejected, rejected by her family, by her society, by everything else. She had struck out as far as the world she lived in. But God saw something in Rahab that would start a lineage that would lead up into the Messiah, that Messiah that would come, that would save the world, and that world includes you and me. So God used some of the most unlikely people that had struck out in life to hit a home run a home run that's more than just a home run it's a grand slam because listen our bases were loaded you and I were standing we were waiting and all of a sudden some some thousands and thousands of years ago Rahab hit a home run and it, it, it enables you and I to run the bases and we can come all the way around until we tag home someday do you realize God used an unqualified person to accomplish all of that. So you may be feeling unqualified today. You may feel that maybe it's something that, maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's something that's going on in your life right now. You may feel unqualified. You may feel like you've struck out. You know, you've been benched. You're sitting on the sidelines. But let me tell you something. God God can use you if you will yield yourself to Him. He will take your life. You understand this. He not only used Rahab, but He reshaped Rahab's life. He remolded and He reshaped Ahab's life. He took something that was nothing and He made something out of it. You know, sometimes we get God all, you know, we get all God, we get Him all messed up. We get Him all backwards. I like what I hear, heard Ronnie Henson say one time. Ron, the singer, the gospel singer Ronnie Henson, he said, he said, uh, he said, out of all the religions in the world, he said, Christianity is the only one, if we can, if we get it right, that we don't have to qualify for. I don't qualify for God's goodness. That's why it's called grace. I don't have to qualify for it. You see, we don't, you don't have to wait till you get good enough. I thought that. I thought, you know, you know, that, that person that said, you a preacher? That person knew me. In, in another day. That person knew me in another time of life. And in that time of life, I can remember. And I'd say, God, when you help me, when I can stop doing this, when I can clean up my vocabulary, when I can stop doing this thing and that thing, and, and I can get all these things in order in my life, then I'll serve you. You see, I wanted to clean myself up before I ever come to Him. Listen, some of you in the room I know are fishermen. Some of y'all, fit, even if you're not a fisherman, some of, many of y'all have fished a time or two. You've went fishing. I don't like going fishing. I like going catching. If you go fishing, you might not catch it. I like going and catching. But you know what? I've never went fishing. I have never went fishing in my life and caught a fish. And when you pull that fish into the bank or you pull it into the boat, I've never caught a fish that has been been scaled, skinned, filleted and ready to go all at the same time. Larry, you ever caught one like that? No, 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 no. You have to catch it first and then you catch it and you know, we used to go down, a bunch of us guys, we used to go twice a year to Santee Cooper, big catfish place down in South Carolina. And you know what? We'd go out and we'd catch a wheelbarrow full of fish 
and they had a little Vietnamese woman that worked down there and she would she had an electric fillet knife and she would hit those old big catfish in the head with a hammer and then zoom 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 and in just literally minutes she would have a catfish filleted up and a big old plastic ziploc bag and she'd say here are your fish we had to catch them she took care of the cleanup see that's all God's called us to do if we'll just reach people God will clean them up and, 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 and he cleaned up Rahab he'll clean up he's cleaned up me and he'll clean up you but I wanted to be clean before I ever got to him and I found myself never getting there I never got there you know why because if I could clean it up in my own act I wouldn't really need him But you know what? His Holy Spirit knows how to do the work. And His Holy Spirit will clean me up. His Holy Spirit will clean you up. His Holy Spirit is the qualifier. So Rahab, she was a strikeout. She was a failure. She was a prostitute. A poor one at that. But God took her to hit a home run. And because of that home run, you and I have the opportunity to inherit eternal life right now. Would you bow your heads with me? Fathers, we come to you today. We bless you. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord Jesus. That Lord, even though we don't understand why you do some things the way you do them, Lord, Sometimes you just puzzle me, God. But I know that you have a plan and a will. And Lord, that you will carry out. And in that plan, all glory and honor will be given to you. So today, Lord, Lord, I thank you for a prostitute that was willing to believe. I thank you for a prostitute, a strikeout, a failure that was willing to begin the grafting of the wild branch the Gentile nation I thank you that Lord that you used that woman and Lord we find that her faith was great Lord oh that we could have such great faith so today Lord I pray that Lord for any that may be in this room or any that may be watching by Facebook Live that are unsaved. I pray that, Lord Jesus, that we will, those people, if they're unsaved, will realize that according to their faith, so be it unto them. Lord, if we will just react to what we've heard, we will react and we'll believe upon what has been accomplished. Lord, we shall be saved. Believing on the name of Jesus. So Lord, today I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict some hearts, convict some lives. Amen. That prayer being prayed, I want you to, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you say, Pastor man, our attendance is way down this morning because of the weather and the time change. And yes, that's true. I'm, I'm not sure how many may be watching online this morning, but I want to ask you this. Sometimes we take things for granted. But if you're sitting in this room and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you feel like a failure, maybe you're struggling in your faith.
Maybe maybe you feel like you're saved, but you're really struggling to have faith. You're really struggling to have faith right now. Listen, you're not a strikeout. In fact, if you are a strikeout, still don't worry about it because God can still use you. He wants to use you. If you're in this room and you're unsaved, without any embarrassment, or you've backslidden on God, and you see the need of coming back to faith, with heads bowed and eyes closed, would you raise your hand in this room real quickly? Anybody at all? Thank you. Is there anybody else in this room? Is there another that says, Pastor, I'm struggling. I'm struggling. If you're watching live stream and that's you, just for your own sake, raise your hand right where you're at. Acknowledge that you need to save me. I want y'all to raise your hand and look at me. Our crowd small this morning. Again, due to the circumstances of time changing weather. But this is what I want to ask you to do. If you're in this room, I want to ask you if you would come down. Let's gather. Let's come down stand around this altar area. And we're going to take a time of prayer. If you responded in this altar call this morning, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you out. But if you would like to come, as everybody else, everybody that will come now. If you would like to come as everybody else comes, hey, come on. Be a part of us. Be a part of this family. Be a part of, 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 of the family of God. If you, uh, if you, if you would like special prayer, just let me know. Just let me know because I'd like to share with you and I'd like to pray with you today. We're just going to pray and we're just going to believe that God God's a God of restoration. He's not, listen, we talk about restoration a whole lot, but you know what? Rahab wasn't really in need of restoration. She just needed new construction. She was new construction. It was all brand new. And today I just I just want us to pray. God, fulfill our every need. I just want you to pray with me this morning. I want you all to pray along with me. Jesus, as we come to you, we come to you often failing. Lord, we have sinned and we have fallen short of your glory. But in spite of that, we know you love us, Lord. And we know that the blood that was shed is sufficient to cover my sin. It's the blood that covers my guilt. So today, I'm asking you to forgive me. Forgive me of my failures. Forgive me of my shortcomings. Forgive me of everything in my life. And Father, right now, I'm asking you to help me to erase every feeling of failure. 
to realize I'm not a failure, but in you, I am precious, I am valuable, and I have worth. So today, I ask you to receive me, to care for me, and just let your love abound in me. I receive it in faith, knowing that your word, the things I've read, the things I've heard, I believe they are true, Lord. And I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.